Welcome to the Real Estate Podcast number 13 with Robert Eichard. We have a special guest tonight, and his name is Gip Erskine, and it is November 9, 2022. Gip is an author, coach, mentor, property manager, and teacher from Dallas, Texas. It is nice to have him in person today, and so thank you for joining us, Gip. Thank you. And a little bit about Gip. He's in his 38th year of commercial property management. He's managed over $5 billion in assets and negotiated over $100 million in service contracts. You might have connected with him on LinkedIn where he's got over 10,000 connections. Or maybe you read one of his blogs in the world according to Gip. Or maybe you were a student in his Master Your Calendar, one of the most loved time management resources. Or maybe you heard of him speak at BOMA or an IREM webinar. That said, his highest value is coaching professionals like you how to become genuine difference makers in your industry. Whether you're just ramping up or a seasoned veteran looking to uplift or maintain your edge, he has helped people recognize and embrace their unlimited potential. He has personally studied under such masters as Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup of the Soul author, Dr. John Martini to understand the universal laws of success and human behavior to apply them in his career and his life. Using the power of values, specifically your highest values, and recognizing them in others, you can manage properties with far greater ease and solve problems that truly matter to your tenants, clients, and teammates. In fact, it is the cornerstone of his values-driven coaching practice. And so that is a little bit about Gip. And um, like I say, I'm glad to have him here. This is our second in-person interview. He's based out of Dallas, Texas here. And Gip has um, a lot of education and um, skill set and I, Gip, could you, uh, would you mind, first of all, thank you and welcome for coming. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. And um, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. Well, as I saw you had me in the lobby, I was a bartender at the Anatole Hotel right over my shoulder here when I first moved to Dallas in 1983. Our next door neighbor. That's right. That's right. So, so far I've come in, in 38 years. <laughs> but... Um, um, I actually was introduced to my first uh, venture into property management back in 1984. I was at a Christmas party, and uh, a friend that I knew said, my boss is going to be here, and I said, I was bartending at the time, and I said, well, what do you do again? And she's like, I manage buildings. I said, well, how hard can that be? So, um, famous last words, I met him, uh, we had a couple of drinks and a few yucks, and he said, well, why don't you come in for an interview? And I did. I had my three-piece suit and my briefcase full of resumes because I had no paperwork as a bartender. And so I sat down and he said, the conversation at Kathy's party went pretty well. You got any questions? And that was it. And I was a property manager day one, knowing nothing about property management. So. But um, I learned by doing and by asking questions. And uh, I was a regional property manager over a, uh, a half a dozen apartment complexes at the time. And so these are people who were vetted in the field, knowledgeable and experienced, and who was I to be their boss. So whenever they had a question about whatever came up, they said, Gip, Gip, what do I do? What do I do? I would, having no idea what to do, I would ask them, what would you do? 
And they said, well, I would do this. And if it sounded good, I'd say, run with it. And if it sounded bad, I'd say, rethink it. <laughs> and that's how I learned um, the, you know, the ABCs of, of property management. But so what were some of the first buildings that you managed, type of building? Yeah, so I managed apartments uh, in, back in the 80s. And uh, from there, I went into retail. And I was managing uh, shopping centers between... Fort Worth and Greenville and all points in between, and then went into office and industrial. And I really found my affinity and hit my stride with office, and I've been in office ever since. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, um, some people may think it's a far stretch to go from being a bartender to um, property management, but um, property management, um, and I'm going to ask you what your thoughts are on this, is one of the... I think the number one quality or one number one mission we have is customer service. Absolutely. So you came from a customer service area and you went into it. So in that way, it probably wasn't so, uh, I mean, you've dealt with a lot of people as a bartender. Correct. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? No, I think, I think the, the correlations are, are uh, actually stunning if you, if you look at it because we are in the customer service. We, we, we dish out customer service to our tenants, to our clients, to our owners, to our teammates, to our vendors that we use. Um, it, really, the, the, the world is who we serve. And we just get to keep it 72 and sunny inside the, uh, the, the boxes that we manage. But there's a lot of customer service there. And I think over the decades, a lot of traditional commercial real estate companies are waking up to the fact that hospitality is really the, the name of the game. Is right. That you, if, when you treat your customers as, as guests and, and they're not tenants, because tenants can sometimes have a negative connotation. Right. You know, in, in, in multifamily, they were residents. They weren't tenants because, you know, tenants just sounded too, too harsh. But now that we have kind of a softer and gentler approach to customer service and we recognize that we are not only serving them by... Um, managing the shell that they occupy, but also delivering more services to them in a hospitality uh, uh, kind of philosophy. So I think there, there are some correlations there. Thank goodness for my bartender background. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I was a waiter for one year, and um, I, you, you really do, um, and that was in college, but you really do learn to deal with all kinds of people, situations, stress. Yeah. Um, making decisions under stress, trying to be nice to people even if they're not nice to you <laughs> under stress. Um, That's for sure. So um, so now your education, you have quite a bit of education. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure thing. Well, I did uh, my undergraduate up at Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania, and I tell people that you should have looked me up at my Gettysburg address, but that was <laughs> old. Oh, okay, so then I came down <laughs> here uh, to Dallas. I grew up in New York. And, um, and instead, of, instead of actually working in, in Manhattan, like my father and his father and all generations before, I moved to Dallas where my sister was. She got homesick and she gave me a one-way ticket for graduation. And I said, now why would I want to move to Dallas? And she said, well, three things. The job market's hot, the weather's hot, and the women are hot. So <laughs> I came right down, you know, four days after graduation and, and started off um, uh, Kind of laying a new a new groundwork in Dallas. Um, thereafter, uh, I uh, after years I got settled down um, and 
married and had uh, a few kids, and then I decided to go back to uh, graduate school. Um, not go back to go back to school graduate style, and so I did go to uh, to Baylor. Got my got my MBA from Baylor at the Cooper Clinic, and I loved it. Uh, first of all, I, you know the tuition was on my nickel. Uh, my undergrad was on my parents, and so now I had to tote the note, and so I got really serious. I may have been a C student back then, but I was straight A's in, <laughs> in grad school. And, and I actually went to, to Baylor and said, I think you shortchanged me. This program is too short. It needs to be longer. And like, they're like, you're the only guy that's ever wanted to stay in school longer. I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I was in my, in my early 40s, had, had uh, young children, and, uh, and I found that that education just kind of filled in the gaps on, on some knowledge that I didn't have at that particular level. Uh, I had gotten my, my CPM early in my career, be, became a certified property manager early in my career, and then became a CCIM, so those are the monikers. I didn't feel like and I had an MBA after that. But, uh, well, and for the benefit of our audience who doesn't, they don't all know what a C, CCIM is, what can you? Yeah, I, actually it is just an acronym. It started off being a, a certified commercial investment member, more for brokers um, to... Uh, to really earn their stripes, to, to, to earn the C, CCIM designation. Um, uh, as a certified property manager, that's through IREM, uh, I-R-E-M. And, um, Institute for, for Institute Real Estate, Estate Management. Management right. right. And, and that was, uh, I think, the, the, the gold standard at the time as far as uh, property managers who were, whether they do in multifamily or commercial, and so was able to just stay plugged into those particular associations, and then BOMA became a new, a new um, way to to kind of broaden my, my. And what is BOMA? BOMA Building Owners and Managers Association. Okay, so, a very good organization. Yeah, absolutely. So they 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 have a lot of complementary um, uh, skill sets in the property management industry and in the service provider industry, um, all for for primarily commercial uh, commercial endeavors so well um there there's so now okay so fast forward yeah. I, I in fact i don't want to fast forward too fast okay um so tell us about some of the jobs you've held okay. i mean i know you you were in office and you've been but like at different companies and different jobs you've held sure well um uh i have only really worked in Dallas. However, I've had various different roles that have taken me on to a regional level and even a global level. And so I didn't get there overnight. There was definitely a progression that, right. you know, kind of like the rules that you follow and you kind of earn your stripes as you grow into that into that career. Um, and so I, I started off, as I mentioned, in, in apartments, multifamily, um, and then went into retail. I was managing 25 retail shopping centers at one time. Um, and it was just, uh, and it was in 1986, uh, 88 kind of downturn where, where it was all we could do to collect rent. So that was, that really allowed me to understand, uh, not only the nature of, of real estate. Those were some tough years, weren't they? Property management, but also, you know, what the actual, you know, the, the economy was going through, uh, at that time. I had the opportunity to go to, um, to work for a, in a in a kind of a young uh, brokerage shop where I was the property management department. I was a VP of property management, and I was the you know the cook, chef, and bottle washer 
all all together, and that was doing office and industrial. So I cut my teeth on on that, and that gave me kind of a new appreciation for for commercial leases and and really an understanding as to you know how one sided, how landlord oriented most leases are, and how tenants who just sign these leases willy nilly without marking them up are really doing themselves a disservice. So that kind of taught me some of the legalities of, of real estate. But at that very same firm is where I, I really got my first dose of personal development. And uh, I don't know, do you know the name Earl Nightingale? It, yes. From way back when. Yes. He had his radio show back in yes. the 50s and all that, the dean of personal development. Well, I had overheard um, the gentleman, my employer, was was playing a tape of, back in cassette tape days, uh, a tape of Earl Nightingale for his brokers in the other office. And I was listening to it, and I overheard it, and I thought it was the most fascinating talk I had ever heard. It was called The Boss. And the, the end uh, story there, to kind of fast forward that, is that the boss is the customer. The customer will do anything that you... Uh, that you uh, ask for, it will pay you exactly what you you are valued for, and it will terminate you if you displease it. And I'm just like, wow! I never looked at the world that way. So that was a wake up call as to if he's a piece of personal development, I want to know more. So as a parallel track in learning real estate, I went knee deep into personal development and Dennis Waitley and and Tom Hopkins and and all the old. You know, the, the old guard that was there, Think and Grow Rich, I, I, I devoured all this stuff, and to this day. Uh, so that, that's been kind of like my parallel path and to enhance my education and to also fill in some of the dots as to how to make sense of this, of this universe that we live in. So beyond that, I went into uh, pure office management. I worked for a company called Fultz Management. They used to be the gold standard back in the 90s, and then from there, I joined a company... Um, it was, a, it was a startup from Mutual of New York called Advantage Real Estate Services. It went by Aries. And so it was a brand new concept owned by the insurance company. Uh, uh, and um, uh, we started a, a kind of a fledgling management division here in this particular region. And then I became the uh, director of uh, property management operations over a five-state region with, with Aries. And then I got the very first... Uh, real nail on the chin, they had a downsize, and I was let go. Okay. And I was one of several folks uh, let go. As a matter of fact, uh, we, we, it was done simultaneously across the country where about half of the workforce was being let go. And I was just about to get married at that time, Ooh. and here I was facing a severance that I would have to, we were, uh, I think the termination was announced in February, but we had to stay on until June. And so uh, we're all making a mad dash to the, to the employment market, trying to figure out, okay, where's our next step? But in order to get our severance, we had to stay on for four months, which is just a long, long time. Well, I was offered a job very, very quickly. I said, great, I, I want to take it, but can we make it in July? <laughs> and they said, no, <laughs> we need you now. I said, okay, crap. So if I go there, then I'll sacrifice my severance. I was kind of counting on some uh, normal income because I was getting ready to get married. So I had a great idea, and that was let me go into my boss at the time. And we were all, we were all in the same boat together. Some people who stayed, they understood. Those people who, who were let go, and there was, some, there was a sympathetic 
um, kind of casualness about the about the office. So I went into my boss, and I uh, I told him that you know the region is running just fine. You don't need me. As a matter of fact, I'm dead weight um, overhead, and the best thing you can do is to terminate me. And he's like. You made a great case. You're fired. <laughs> so that was the day before I got married. Okay. And so um, at my rehearsal dinner party, uh, I got up to give a little talk. And uh, the first couple of words was, I just got fired today and I'm psyched. <laughs> and so my wife at the time, her parents weren't all that thrilled to hear that news. But uh, that helped me kind of finance my, my wedding and, and our uh, honeymoon time. So, um I've since remarried, but those were that was a fond memory of just kind of taking that what could have been a pretty bad situation and making it uh, a, a lot better. But I seem to have learned every single time that I uh, go from from place to place. So after I went to uh, uh, from from Aries, I went into the money side. I went to a Goldman Sachs subsidiary, and and I really understood how the deals were being uh, are being kind of cooked up. Um, and orchestrated. So we did a lot of portfolio purchases of massive amounts of uh, office buildings and loans. And, and this was a huge organization that had all the subject matter experts from management and operations like I was, and leasing and structural and mechanical and architectural and finance. Everybody was at this company. And we would, when they were getting ready to buy a portfolio, they would all sit us down at the conference room table and say, okay, here's what it is, here's what we can buy it for, here's the end game, we're in and out, you know, for this particular factor, and and here's the return, um, thumbs up or thumbs down. And in one meeting, if you get enough thumbs up, great, we're going to go buy it, and, you know, this company could raise a billion dollars in 30 days because it's Goldman Sachs, you know, from their short list. So they right. were... A, a substantial force in the market to go um, buying up, gobbling up, and turning around these uh, these portfolios, and so that was a lot of fun. So from there, I had the opportunity to uh, to actually work for my for my hero. Uh, I have to back up and say, uh, as a as a football fan in New York, I'm surrounded by Giants and Jet fans. Well, I was a Cowboy fan. <laughs> I was always a Cowboy fan, and me and my brother and a guy by the name of Robert Trevelino, we were the only three Cowboy fans in that area. And so by coming to Dallas, I was like, oh, I'm a little bit closer to the Cowboys. Isn't this great? And then I had the chance to work for Roger Staubach uh, at, in 2001. Oh, okay. And joined him, and um, I was in, the, in a sales role. So. And for the people that don't know this, um, he ha he's a big real estate presence in the Dallas community. Correct. Correct. He started a company. He since uh, merged it with uh, with JLL back in 2008. Right. But when I joined him in 2001, um, uh, I, I was joining him or I was interviewing over a period of a year for an open position as a senior vice president of operations. So I'm a management guy. I know operations, this and that. But what was a brokerage company like the Staubach company doing in Management operations. Well, little did I know, but they had a small facility management company, and I was going to be the VP of operations. So I'm interviewing, interviewing. I like the company. I know Roger's right down the hall. I haven't met him yet, but I know he's right there. <laughs> and so I was very, very excited to keep that dialogue going. So over the course of a year, um, I was finally offered the position 
as senior vice president of business development. And I'm like, no, 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 no. See, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a management guy. I'm an operations guy through and through. I, you must be making a mistake. I'm like, no, no. We have a VP of, of operations. We just hired him. We like him. He's going to do a great job. We need you to be the, the sales guy. I'm like, you're making a big mistake. <laughs> See, I'm a management guy through and through. I'm not a sales guy. Well, um, he said, you know what? I'd like you to talk to the vice chairman of the company. And this is a beautiful woman by the name of Kay Cotter. And so I had an appointment with her, and I went up to Kay. And she said, oh, it was very, very nice to meet you. And I said, Kay, there's really been some mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've been interviewing for a year for an operations job. She's like, no, 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 there's no mistake about it. And I said, what, what on earth? Why are you hiring me? She's like, we've got an entire office of grip and grin, smile and dial and brokers out here, and the last thing we want is another one. <laughs> so we want somebody who's been in the, in the ranks, who's been in the trenches, who knows how to recognize problems and knows how to solve them. You're the guy for us. Hmm. Will you come on board? And I said, I'll give it my best. And for 10 years, uh, I was in business development, selling facilities management, and really having no idea what I was doing there. And before I accepted, I called an old boss and said, should I take this job? He's like, hell yeah. Why would you want to take a job you know how to do? You know, of course, go into it. So as you can tell, I've, I've learned a lot of new things just by doing and not necessarily faking it, but, um, you know, taking it on the chin every now and then and learning and, and growing up from there. Well, Okay, so you do coaching. Well, why don't you tell us what you're doing at this present time? Well, there's a, there a turning point that will lead me up to that. So since um, uh, when, when Roger decided to sell his company for, to JLL in 2008, I was a JLL employee. And um, I was now in um, selling facility management. And they figured that, you know, that wasn't going to play out over the long haul. And I was looking at too small of a subset, they didn't, they had such a big infrastructure, it wasn't going to, going to support that. So I had to find another position. Found another position and I was the, uh, the global CRM, which is client relationship manager for Sabre Systems out in, out in South Lake. And I managed their corporate headquarters, but they also had a global footprint. So I had, I had country leaders in the UK and in uh, Buenos Aires and in Poland and the Philippines, and so I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I've got a multilingual, multi-currency, multi-time zone kind of a, a portfolio here. It wasn't a very big one. Had about 25 people working um, uh, on this particular portfolio, and my key initiative was to have successors set up in each of those country leadership positions. So I set one up for the UK and found the right person there, set some up, uh, somebody up in Buenos Aires, in Poland, and here in the in the U.S. So I had my leadership kind of tag teamed with me. And then one day, about a year into it, I got a tap on the shoulder, and my boss said, "You know, the client has decided to hire your successor. You're out." Cool. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, well, that wasn't expected, and I thought I did everything right, but yet." The rug was just pulled out from underneath me, and I said, I guess we're talking severance, and they said, no, 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 this is not a severance-eligible event. And I'm like, okay, wait a second, I've worked here over 11 years, and I get two weeks' notice? What, what's, well, actually, you know, so I felt a little, I, I felt completely stunned and bewildered, and then after I kind of recovered, licked my, you know, 
wounds, found another position within the same company in property management. And so I was able to just kind of recover, but I wanted to take stock of who I was. And that was in 2012. That's when I decided to go and do some real soul searching. And I uh, signed up for a, a year-long program with Jack Canfield, who's the chicken soup for the soul guy. Okay. And um, he had this... Very, uh, very popular book. Yes, yes. Only half a billion copies. Sold. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I went into his Train the Trainer program, which met, uh, it was about 75 people from all over the world that met for about uh, eight or nine days at a time, four times throughout one year. So we come in, we get a lot of knowledge, and we did everything from meditating to hugging each other the right way to, to really, I mean, getting deep and interpersonal. And then at the end, you were kind of working out how you can take all of this knowledge and all this wisdom and all of this uh, is a little woo-woo, but it was really cool stuff, and take it out to the market. And so I had the realization then that I can take a lot of the personal development teachings and take my couple that with my decades of experience and bring that to the property management world. And I also made, uh, put a stake in the ground after I got let go and I never saw it coming, thought I did everything right. I decided to say, I will never be 100% reliant upon traditional employment. And so that was my line in the sand that said, I'm going into coaching, consulting, and seeing how I can help, you know, future generations of of commercial real estate professionals. All right. That and was a long story. So <laughs> No, no, that's <laughs> no, we people appreciate knowing about your background and um now so we we have a lot of young people that listen to the podcast and young real people that are interested in real estate. Mm-hmm. They most likely would not be interested or, or would not be listening if they weren't interested in real estate. Right. So um they're great people, and they're interested in real estate. Okay. So um, I just um, was wondering, so what would you advise, like, for example, a young property management professional? Do you have any advice for them on, on how to maybe steer their career or what they should emphasize going forward to to maybe become a success like you have? Well, I appreciate that. The uh, there are, there are a few things that come to mind. Number one is in, in property management, an old uh, uh, <coughs> boss and mentor had once told me that being a property manager over a property is like being mayor of a town. You know, you have constituents who can vote you out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they can also re-up you and, and keep you there. It's kind of like the boss thing that I heard with, uh, with Earl Nightingale that customer, if displeased, can let you go. So you do have a lot of constituents. And as that mayor or governor, uh, let's say it's the mayor of the, of the town, you do have you know, a certain amount of authority over your police force. And that could be your security company. Right. And how you keep the grounds. And that could be your landscaping. And how you keep things tidy in there. So you do have a number of different um, uh, uh, resources at your disposal. However, you've got to spend those dollars wisely. These are tax dollars that can be taken away or your budget cut or what have you. So keeping that uh, perspective um, can sometimes either lead to uh, a power trip, like, wait a second, I can hire and fire willy-nilly, you know, whoever I want, or it can be, you know, a real stewardship opportunity that says, 
you know, I'm going to make the best out of my choices here because whoever I select, whoever I put in place is a reflection of me and my thinking and my business acumen and experience. And so, so making the right moves, the smart moves, the long, you know, looking at the long view have been the, uh, have been the, the, the best ones to, uh, to consider. So, so for those people who might be considering a, a, an opportunity in, in property management, um, your, your reputation, I learned this from Roger, his reputation is all he has. And even the younger generation, Roger who? Like, oh gosh, you know, he's, he's already fallen, fallen out of that, that famous, famous uh, status. But if you forge a reputation based upon doing the right thing by making the right long-term decisions, and that is putting the right pieces in place, hiring the right people for the right reasons, and, and looking through all the implications as to what is the long-lasting effect of this particular decision, whether it be a hiring decision or a firing decision or, or uh, anything in between. And so that's, that's number one. There's a lot of power that's, that can be wielded but it can be harnessed in a way that's, that's responsible and, and benefits, you know, benefits all your constituents. So you get reelected once again. Yes. And isn't that timing perfect right after the midterms? <laughs> yeah, true. And well, it is, it is, there are some similarities. It's, it's, you know, your ethics, your sense of ethics, how you treat people, um, Correct. how you, I mean, one of the things, customer relations and tenants aside, um, not a side, it's kind of a part and parcel, but that I've kind of followed as a property manager is I try to think like an owner mm -hmm. and also think like a tenant. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar because they're both entering the same building. They're, you got to look at the curb appeal. You got to look at the landscaping. You got to look at all these things mm -hmm. and you got to say, well, if I was a tenant, would I want to be, would I want to look at this on the wall? Would I want to look at this on the... And um, right. would I want these lights to be out at night when I'm walking home in the dark or I'm walking to my car in the dark, mm -hmm. you know? And um, so um, there, you, be, having a sensitivity to those things, right. I think, is very important. Right. And um, that's, um, that's very good. And now, so uh, do you coach and you teach? And right. so why don't you um, let the guests at home know a little bit more about what you're what you do how you help sure sure well, I appreciate that the the um, uh, my studies within within personal development um, um, took a I don't want to say a turn but there was another avenue that was opened up and that was when I um, was exposed to dr. John D Martini who is a personal behaviorist um, he is a researcher he's he's a teacher author speaker and um, and polymath if you don't know the, the, the meaning of that word I had to look it up but it's it's somebody who knows an awful lot about an awful lot okay. and so he polymath actually, a polymath okay yeah, yeah. so he actually uh, made us made a synthesized sort of uh, like a renaissance man <laughs> in a matter of speaking only with, only with his knowledge okay. so, so he uh, once you know came from from uh, not being able to read to now, uh, and he counts the number of books he reads. He's now read over 30,000 books. And he decided to make sense of the universe in a way unlike anybody else I've ever known. And that is by studying as many ologies as he possibly can. So from biology to astrology to everything in between. 
and he's up to 290 ologies. So for each ology, he would read a hundred of the best books within that particular thing, so he can put all the pieces together. And then he synthesizes all of these things. So he's an authority, and he's somebody who, when, when he speaks, I listen, and I know he's got a number of people who, uh, who do as well. So he influenced my thinking by exposing me to something called the highest values, your own highest values. And that is, the, that is the cornerstone of my coaching to property managers, is, is if you understand your highest values, and these aren't, these aren't moral, uh, uh, moral uh, terms like, like, you know, um, um, I'm drawing a blank on, on what people would say as far as their honesty and integrity and, and, and value systems and, 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 or, yeah, yeah. Just, just general values that the, that the society would hold as, as something high. Like, no, these are things that your life actually demonstrates. These are, these are pinpoint, they're specific to you. They're retina specific. And, and so everybody's got their own set. And so by asking yourself a number of different questions, you can elicit what actually drives you and your own behavior. And so if I, can, if I can understand my own highest values, and this is what, what gets me up, you know, um, at night, I will do this. I will, I will fulfill my highest values, whether I get paid for it or not. These are things that energize me. I'll spend money on them. I'll spend time on them. And I will seek everything to fulfill them. And so when I understand that in me, then I can understand that in you, and I can recognize that in you. And so when I understand that in you, I can start to speak in your values to see how is it that I can help fulfill your values while you help fulfill mine. And so then you start talking in a business construct where you have a team. As a property manager, I have engineers, I have administrators, I've got accounting, and what are their highest values? So how can you then look at and recognize and honor their highest values and see, hey, wait a second, you know, I hate doing this type of report, but she loves doing this kind of report. Let's take this and delegate this one over there. And then all of a sudden you've kind of rejiggered the whole chemistry and your team is now fulfilling their own highest values. What's low on mine is high on hers. What's high on hers is, you know, low on hers is high on mine. All of a sudden we're kind of cross-pollinating and we're elevating the game. I like that. So that's the crux of my values-driven coaching. It's all based upon recognizing and honoring your own highest values and those in your team and your clients. So and you do have to talk to them and find out absolutely what the um, yeah. and not just dump stuff on people whether they like it or not. Correct. It's sort of like you know our what kind of like to make an assessment. So in other words, for example, if you go into a if you go into a tenant's office and they have sports memorabilia all over the place and and a you know framed jersey of Roger Staubach and and you know this person is a cowboy fan through and through. Well then. It's easy to recognize that this person recognizes the um, the value of athletics, and and so using some of the nomenclature like teamwork and getting things over the goal line, and you know we're first and ten, we're going in, you know that type of thing, um, really resonates more than uh, somebody who might have pictures of just their family and and or or religious uh, uh, idols uh, around. You want to be able to recognize what it is that they are holding near and dear to them and honor that and start talking in that. So that's one example as to how, how to start 
you know, elevating that discourse. Okay, Kip, what is this? You handed it to me as you walked in. It says, put your property on autopilot. Do more of what you love, less of what you do, and up your fulfillment, up your freedom, and up your financial power to secure a better future. I have a feeling it's sort of like what you've just been talking about. <laughs> yes. So, yes. what is this? So this is, this is a, a method that I, that I um, created called the UP method. Okay. And, and it basically started with, um, with a sales from a sales premise. And, and I entitled it Clean Up. So how to clean up in the, in the uh, ways that property managers buy and the ways that service providers sell. And so uh, if you look at, at how we, we go out to bid and we, we hire a new cleaning company, for example, uh, we will take an old, tired RFP that came from some old contract way back when because we're busy people. We might be a little bit lazy too, but we're very, very busy and we really just want to get this thing out the door and into the right hands of people that hopefully can give us a, a good bid and, and be done with it. So we start with a tired old scope that really may not be relevant and it still says clean the ashtrays every night, you know? I mean, that <laughs> old, right? And so, so that has very little rele relevance and it gets recognized by the service provider community. So if we go out smartly with, a, with an, an RFP and that has a particular scope that uh, is more appropriate, more applicable, and you ask, you know, good questions of the service providers, like how would you clean this business? Kind of like how I learned in property management. Well, how would you solve this particular problem? Yeah. How would you clean it if you were me? Would you would you adhere to this particular scope? And someone would say, hell no, I'd do it completely differently. Great. Let's talk about that. And let's go to the expert and say, here's how I want to do it. So why should I tell you that I need to, you know, have my stairwells cleaned once a quarter when you guys should be driving the frequency? All I want is a clean stairwell. Right. Right. So I don't care if it's once a quarter or once a year or, what, or every day. I don't care. That's up to you. So all I want is the outcome. So when you start to change the game, you start the dialogue, then you have people who's just like, oh, great. So here's how, here's how I've done it recently. I'll go out to bid and I'll say, here, here's a scope. It's going to be a scope that we all kind of can make, you know, apples to apples uh, uh, values on. And then I take, I take, um, some of the most competitive, but I review other factors. I'm going to get to that in a second. I take the most competitive and I take the, these two and I average out what their annual cost is. And I said, okay, it's going to cost me, let's say, half a million dollars for the year. I say, I'm just giving you a check for a half million dollars. Now, how would you clean the property? Oh, well, I wouldn't do any of that stuff. Oh, <laughs> great. Perfect. I do it during the day. I do it this, you know, I'd have the day crew do this and the night crew do this and I'd change it all up. Great. Well, let's start there. And all of a sudden, this blue sky thinking, I've actually elicited, you know, their input. They get valued and they want to be much more part of the equation going forward. And so now that they're a finalist, I want to see how they work, how they think, how they solve problems, how they communicate, and really how they're going to do what I've asked them to do because I've recruited them and I've brought them up. So how does that tie into values? Well, I have just now, you know, opened up my kimono and said, I desire these particular things. My highest values are fulfilled when these things happen. And if that's responsiveness or communication or problem solving or professional appearance, whatever those things are, and every 
property manager has their own set. Then you open, open up the dialogue with the service provider and say, how are you going to fulfill these particular things as you do this particular role? Well, you know, not to interrupt, but that's, um, that's actually very innovative. There's um, a lot of property managers, since we're talking about property managers, they will say, here's the scope. Give me a bid. Right. right. That's it. That's, that's the whole conversation. Right. And, um, or um, let's develop a scope with this guy, and then, you know, the next two guys have to, or whoever, I, I don't mean to be, I mean, women are very right. involved in all these vendor relationships as well. But Absolutely. Um, the predominance of, of property management are, are women. Well, I'm talking about vendors, yeah, but yep. yes, it yep. is. Yep. Um, it's very, yes, I, I know that. I tell my team the, fam the, the, the famous, most expensive three words that they say will, is get three bids. I, because if, it's, if you just leave it that, you know, unclear and unarticulated yep. as far as expectations, it's going to cost you in the long run. Right. So let me add on to that evaluation thing. Uh, one bit, and again, I'll, then I'll return to the rest of the up method. Oh yeah, sure. Because we're still on cleanup, and and there's there's nine ups in this particular in this particular method. So when I get bids, I evaluate them not just on price. Usually, property managers will just look directly to the price, stick it on the spreadsheet, say you're not the lowest. Sorry, you are the lowest. <laughs> you get it, yeah. and it's just low bid wins, and they get screwed. More times than they than they care to admit, because they had to go with the low bid because they don't they haven't figured out a different way that says I just really want to give it to the best guy, but I, he's more expensive. So how do I do that? This isn't this isn't sleight of hand. This is actually evaluating evaluating companies and evaluating the teams on their on their approach. So at first I look at the financial side, and anybody can spread them. They all do that every single day. Then I take a look at the non financial side. I call it the non financial attributes, non-monetary attributes. And I ask myself, what's most important on these uh, uh, factors, as I mentioned before? Kind of, for me, it's, it's responsiveness. If they can respond faster than anybody else, I'll, I'll give them a good mark. And then it's, it's, it's problem solving. I want them to own and solve the problems and then bring me the solutions, and that way everybody can share in the, in the spoils there. So I rank about 10 of these different non-monetary attributes, and I give them a dollar value. If they score high in it, I deduct off their, off their bid. If they score low in it, I add to their bid. <laughs> so I've leveled the playing field in a monetary way. These are, these are monetary values. They're not real dollars, but they show me who actually rises to the top, and I've defended that to countless owners and say, we're going with company B because company A, while maybe cheaper, is going to cost us in the long run. Uh, yes. And one of the biggest deals that we, as property managers, overlook is how much time are we spending cleaning up their messes? Right. And so, so, they, so many, like for example, the contractors, what are great at doing ninety-five percent of the job, or ninety percent of the job, mm -hmm. and then the last ten percent isn't isn't done. Uh, yes, and it'll wear you out trying to get that last ten percent done. Correct. Correct. And that's all part of setting expectations. So, so I do think that um, the other elements of, of the model are, if you imagine it kind of broken down into, into three subsets, you are the first subset. And I've got three circles that, that make up a diagram. And in your, in your subset of this, of this particular model, you, um, you are 
really looking to create an inspiring vision. Because if you're not leading towards some North Star that's true to you, then you're kind of stalled, and you're plateaued, and your team won't get behind you. And so determining your, your inspiring vision is job number one, and it all comes from your highest values. All these things emanate from your highest values. Then it's, how do I stand up and stand out from the rest of the, the crowd? Um, I don't want to be a commodity. We've all been put in that particular position. You know, if, if you're replaceable, then you're a commodity. How do we stand up and actually show the difference that we can make? And that also emanates from your highest values. You, your true nature comes out. Your authenticity comes out. You start standing up for who you are. And that's stand up. First one is dream up. And the third one is lead up. What is your leadership? How can I awaken your leadership so that no matter where you are, People can actually see and respect and hear you and understand exactly where you're going and why. And that's something that your teams can get behind. It's not just your vision, but you better have something to back it up. So that's the you section of the, of the up method model. And then let's go to, to your teams. How do you attract and how do you inspire the right talent? And that is growing your teams. I call that team up. <clears throat> So not only are you recognizing your current in-place teams and by their highest values and showing how their correlation of fulfillment of those values elevates their game so that they want to do more of what they didn't know they wanted to do more of because now they see how it, how it satisfies their values. Then it's clean up, which is how do we buy smarter and better uh, and, and attract the right service providers onto the team. So first is kind of like your employee team. Now we go to the outside of the market. <clears throat> And then, <clears throat> pardon me, and then how do we then um, grow up and, and give them, give the service providers and your team more responsibility? How do you make them extensions of the management team? I'm stuck in my office more hours than I care to admit. And if I can, if I can then delegate certain responsibilities to my team, for example, I have day porters who do a great job. They go into the common areas, they go into the restrooms, they have their... They have their own routines, but yet they notice that there's a stained ceiling tile. They're a day porter. They just notice a stained ceiling tile, but it's not their department. <laughs> so right. it goes un, unsaid, unspoken, what have you. Well, why don't, instead of that, you have you empower them to actually say, well, you know, I noticed a stained ceiling tile. Here's the location. And they put in a work order into the, into the hopper. I call it this, this whole hopper of, of problems. You have a security guard who is doing their patrolling and they notice, you know, a limb that's kind of blocking some of the light from the, the, from the light standard that's lighting up the parking lot. It's actually creating a, a security issue, but it's a landscape thing because it's a, it's a tree branch. So they'll disregard it and just kind of say it's dark over here. Um, no, why, don't, why doesn't that go into the kitty? And right. why don't they notice certain things? Or when they go into the restroom, it kind of smells kind of funny, but they're security. If you can break them out of their mold of their defined scope and go beyond the scope and figure out what matters to the people that they serve, and that's everyone from the tenants to the owners to prospects that come in, I mean, you get it. Have them take ownership. <laughs> take ownership. Guess what? That frees you up to do higher value stuff yourself. Yes. So now you've, you've kind of, there's three basic drivers of the whole up method, and that is that is your own fulfillment of the highest values, your team's fulfillment of those particular values. 
the freedom that you gain from those things now that you've delegated appropriately, responsibly, with accountability to the team and made them extensions of it, frees you up to do other things and higher value things that give you much more fulfillment because you're only in pursuit of your highest values. Then the third piece of the, the third wheel is really the client. Who's the recipient of all this stuff that you've just done all this work for to create? Well, it's the client. So if you have, if you have uh, created a, a particular platform that is exceptional service and, and you have certain expectations and you've known and by eliciting what their highest values are, then you can speak to them. Um, so I do have something called Speak Up, and it is getting that dialogue and knowing their nomenclature and elevating that particular discourse. Then I have <coughs> um, a Lead Up, which is, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, I have <coughs> the service platform itself is, is probably the most important. Everybody has the role over here when it comes to you, your leadership, your team, their growth, their fulfillment of the highest values, but what are they actually doing? That's where you get the service platform actually dialed in so that you can anticipate needs. You know things that are going to be coming up uh, on, a, on a routine basis. You know how to solve certain things in advance, and you can see challenges uh, that your clients and tenants and owners and everybody else has brought you know, you know, in, in front of you and you now have the method and the team to back you up in order to do that. And then you have the ability to automate all of that. You can't uh, expect to just put everything on autopilot, but when I say put your property on autopilot, I mean the fact that by you instrument, you know, implementing certain, certain um, uh, levels of authority and empowerment and responsible delegation, and then creating a service platform where everybody knows their particular role, and then you incorporate the seasonality of property management. Like we all know that budgets are due about this time of the year, because I'm just finishing up some right now. So there's a certain amount of lockdown, uh, not in that connotation, but I've got a heads down uh, period of time. During that time, I know that preceding the actual preparation of these particular budgets is a lot of research. So I've cleared my plate during that particular month in order to to do things. It seems like some of these due dates and whatnot just seem like surprises. Every year we get, you know, property managers get surprised. Like, oh my gosh, we got escalations again. Well, it happens every March. We know that. Right. We can plan for that. Like the holidays, you just, you know that they're coming. We can do certain things that plan for that. In the property management realm, we have tenant surveys. We ask, you know, the actual recipients of our service, how are we doing? How can we improve? And so if you do that methodically, you can get their particular feedback and put that also into the hopper. And what that will do will then elevate the service level to such a degree that you can't sacrifice them anymore. It's impossible because everybody's got a stake in this particular outcome. And you've now been able to grant yourself way more fulfillment, freedom, and now you've got the, the biggest thing, and that's the financial power. You now have elevated your own value. Okay. And once you've done that on one property, you can do it on any number of properties. What, what advice, and this is very common in our industry, you said you managed how many um, shopping centers at one point? 25 at one time, yeah. Okay. Um, have you ever, and I'm just going to ask you some questions, <laughs> have you ever felt like you've had too many properties? Oh, of course, every day. Okay, so you've had that, that before, and, and you know many property managers feel that way. Correct. 
what advice do you give them if they feel like, um, I left one company years ago. I'm not going to mention any names, but I was managing a lot of properties. I left and um, because I wanted to manage tall buildings and I wanted that experience. Mm -hmm. That was the main reason I left. But um, then I found out that the person that replaced me said, oh my God, how can somebody manage this many properties? And she said to the ownership or to the asset manager, this is ridiculous. This, this should be split up into two managers. And they did. They did it. And I, it never even crossed my mind to ask that question. Um, so um, I guess it's just the way I, I am. I don't, I don't really complain much. I just do what I can do, do the best I can do. But um, uh, what, I mean, what would you advise a, a property manager in that position to do? I mean, um, I know it's very common now. I mean, yeah, we're, things we're, have been lean and mean, and I'm not saying it, you know, I know that, you know, companies have overhead and owners have overhead and all of that, but at the same time, I think, do you understand what my question I is? I do. Okay. I do. Because I'm not sure I even asked it very well, but. <laughs> there's a couple of different answers for it, too. Number one, just realize that you're, you're never going to get, be done with your job. <laughs> there's always something to do. Right. And and so so knowing that, uh, and I went into to a boss when I was managing those shopping centers and he had a clean office and a clean desk. Your boss? My boss. Did. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he had like one document in front of him. And I said, how on earth, I've got an inbox like this. How on <laughs> earth do you do it? And he's like, don't let perceptions fool you. And he reached down and he pulled out his inbox. He just didn't have it, it on display. No, he just likes a clean desk. I'm like, oh, okay. I said, yeah. I just feel like I'm, I'm way behind. I, unable to keep up he's like welcome to property management you will never feel like you were on top of the game just right. do the best you can and it's all about prioritization so if you if you realize what's most important you know you you've heard of uh wii fm uh the, the radio station of success which means what's in it for me oh okay. and and if everybody's got their own radio station meaning Who's this tenant? Who's this client? Who's this manager who has their own thing? I've got to figure out what's in it for you. And I've got to deliver to, to what that expectation is. It's solving for what matters most to you. And guess what those are? Your highest values. So if I can figure those things out and, it, and attend to those, then I can have any number of priorities that, that come up and want to pull me away from, from that. And if these are my my stellar ones that without fail, I'm going to do those. And if I get pulled away, I will go to you and I will say, Mr. Client, you've just asked me to do 10 other initiatives that would trump the ones that I'm currently working on. You tell me how best you want me to orchestrate okay, my that's I can focus on whatever it is right. you tell me. Now, if you have multiple masters, there's a little bit of politics that you, right. need, you need to work through. And I, and I do. I, 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 I'm I manage a, a portfolio with three different three different owners, and they all said, "Like, wh where are you?" Well, I I, <laughs> yeah. I am coming. <laughs> Here's what's been happening in the background, <laughs> exactly. and, you know. Um, so so that does happen, but I think it's a matter of of uh, prioritization, and I think it's a matter of uh, really knowing how to pivot from one initiative to another. Right. You know, we 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 get so. Uh, kind of caught up in fire drill mode that our adrenaline mm -hmm. kind of almost keeps us there artificially yeah. after the fire is done. 
it's hard to switch gears and say, okay, where was I in this deep thought and really getting you know strategic about this? It's hard to make that yeah. switch on a dime. And so, so knowing that the tendency is to kind of stay in there because it's like it's kind of a cool feeling. Yeah, we we just had this fire. We just did this thing. Like, yeah, I want to tell everybody about it. Like, okay, calm down. We got actually have to do more work now. <laughs> so leave that um, to know how how your body reacts and how your mind reacts when you're doing things. Um, and that goes to your highest value. So let me tell you from a biological standpoint, your chemistry changes when you're in the zone. You've heard of the zone or the flow. Um, that is when you're in fulfillment of your highest values, your executive center comes online. Blood, glucose, and oxygen rush into your system and you become clear and objective and you can discern the nonsense. You can, you can, it's not a matter of like, how ah, do I get more focus? I, I, I just, you know, I, I feel so pulled. Stay true to honoring your highest values and knowing those of, of the uh, clients that you serve and you will not go wrong. Co coffee usually helps me in that case. <laughs> <laughs> or espresso. No. Up. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, but no, that's true. And I think, um, well, and here's the other thing is property management isn't for everybody. Correct. I think stepping back even further, um, I've I've met people who um, um, have done it for for a couple of years, and they're miserable human beings. Mm -hmm. um, you really it it I mean, what can you speak to that? It, it's it's definitely takes a different type of person, sure, or maybe a special type of person. Or what what are what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> Well, again, in my 38th year of, of doing this, um, some people would say, like, what, why are you still doing this? And, and, and how can you put up with this industry for, for so long? And it might be a, a little bit, bit uh, self-fulfilling because, because it's what I know, but also, you know, you'll ask any property manager, what do they like most about their job? And it's because every day is different. Right. There are no two... Days that, that oh, that the is so true. And we do have some routines, and we we acknowledge all of those. Right. But when stuff's on fire, it's on fire, and you ain't never seen a blaze like that. And so now it really allows you to kind of think and think on your feet and be adaptive and you know coalesce a team and you know really do some cool stuff. Um, and that is one thing I like about it. Yeah. Is that it's never the same every day. Right. But some people crave routines. And, and those are the people who tend to go to accounting and bookkeeping and know that they have to do the same right. thing. And, right, And they, there's repetition, and they're proud of that, and that's wonderful. And, and, and they can come in at a, a certain time and leave at a certain time every certainly. day, yeah. and uh, property management is nothing like that. No, and I don't want to stereotype uh, accountants. I love them. Um, and I am kind of a bean counter myself just because I can't reconcile my checkbook if I'm off by a penny, so I've got to find that, you know, so... Right. I still have that uh, part in me, but there are certain people who just who live on the routine. They live on on what that uh, creates for them. Property managers are much more unique, where we wake up saying, "I wonder what's going to happen today, good, bad, or indifferent." <laughs> That's true. So yes, and another thing about property management uh, that I've noticed is that how many hats a property manager has to wear. Absolutely. Um, one time I uh, I've counted it up couple of times I've counted it up. So let's go through real quick. <laughs> you have to know about landscaping. Uh -huh. You have to know about construction. Mm -hmm. You have to know about customer service. Mm -hmm. 
that might be number one, but there's so many things. You have to know about accounting. Mm -hmm. You have to know about, uh, and help me out here in case I'm... Legal, legal leases, contracts. Legal leases, contracts. You have to have a familiarity with that. Laws. Laws. Ordinances. Yes. Uses. Uses. Mm -hmm. um, zoning. Mm -hmm. you, have to, you have to have a familiarity with um, uh, not only just landscaping. I mean, you, I've seen property managers that really know their landscaping. Uh -huh. I'm not one of them. But, Trees um, and yes, you know, they know all the plants and, and all this. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, correct. Um, I rely on our landscapers to educate me. But that goes back to kind of what you were talking. I mean, so there are multiple hats. Right. But it does go back to what you were saying earlier about how property managers, um, you can dictate and say, I want this, the, you know, three bids on this scope. Mm -hmm. That's kind of old, very old school. My way thinking. or the highway. Yeah, my way or the highway. And it's not necessary that you have that personality, but it's just maybe a, some of them just think that that's the way you do it. Mm -hmm. um, I like my vendors to educate me. I listen to them. I try to. I try to listen to them. And sometimes I'll, I mean, of course, sometimes they need direction. Sure. And um, if that's fine. But if they really are good at what they do, it's, I think it's often good to defer to them. Mm -hmm. And like you say, even let them, I love your idea of saying, here's, here's our X amount of budget. How would you spend it? Right. And, and I suspect in some of those cases, they may not, they may even say, I don't need that much budget. <laughs> right. I mean, right. I don't know. I mean, that's probably pretty rare. I don't know. Very, very rare. But, but you have those, you have those companies who, when you give them the chance and you let them tell you what they know, and you know they're trying to tell you in all the brochures and all the stuff. They're trying to tell you how good they are, and some even make the mistake that you know we have a combined experience of 275 years. I'm like, okay, is that 275 people with one year? I mean, I, yeah. I don't care about that. I know that, that's. <laughs> but you but, could have 50 people, you know, right, you know. Right. So so what I'm what I'm interested in is how would you do it? How would you really do it if you're in my shoes? And right. and my career depended on it. And so I want the outcome, and I want to see how you can get there. Right. There, are, there are some who will, who will leave money on the table and just say, you know what, then don't do that. You don't need that. Right. You, you need this. And actually, you don't need to be talking to me. You could be talking to that guy. Right. And but my trust factor goes, goes to the roof high. when they, they talk high. like that. Right. Because now, now they're not out. Advisor. Right. Exactly. Right. It's a whole, exactly. new, a whole new elevation, and the transcended vendor. I've got a whole other thing about about that is going from a unknown vendor all the way to a trusted advisor. But but you know, I like to refer to them as service partners because that's what they truly are. And right. I think vendor vending machine. That's commodity. I, I think of service partner, and let's they want to build a partnership. They're, right. They're dying for my money anyway. They 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 know they're dying for my business, and and but let's. Let's get blue sky thinking. Let's start talking strategically. And what if we didn't do that? Or what if we left it this way for, for a long time? I had a, I had a security company who, who I went to, and they just said, I, I, tell me why you're, you're operating uh, a property this way, your coverage. So, well, because, you know, this, 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 you have these tenant demands, this and that, and this kind of activity is here. Okay, that's great. So what are you seeing? Why are you here on the weekends? Um, um, well... Um, yeah, you know what? Good point. Like, okay, what, what kind of activity? What, 
what's the risk factor? What's the you know what's the crime scene? T tell me, educate me. You're you're the expert. And they said, you don't need to be here on weekends at all. Great, thank you very much. I'm just going to modify that, and I'll lock the doors down, and everybody will be on the key fob, and that's that. But it it took a little realization, and people get into their ruts and routines, and sometimes, you know, that's still good money coming in. Well, yeah, but do I need it? And a lot of times the risk profile doesn't warrant it. Well, and a lot of tenants, they, um, I don't want to say they fear you, but they fear not getting the job. So they're going to be very quiet. Mm -hmm. And many of them are going to be very quiet, unless you've had them for 30 years, which mm -hmm. we have We have some vendors that we've had for that long. And, and I, I just, we have a roofer who's been with us for 30 years and or more. Wow. And um, I just... I take his advice right and left because um, it ain't just about roofing anymore. No, it's right. not. It's it's about a lot of things. He's good with the tenants and everything else, and um, they're very responsive. But what I'm saying is, um, if you have if you have vendors and they're just waiting to hope they get the job, and you're giving, there's there's never going to be that relationship if mm -hmm. you don't if you don't like you say. You've got to probably, you know, open up with them and just say, "Look, um, I I need to know what your thoughts are." And 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 many property managers, this is good. I hope a lot of property managers listen to this mm -hmm. because they need to um, be more collaborative. Mm -hmm. I guess is one good word mm -hmm. with their vendors rather than authoritative. And I think um, there's something that's been missing called the debrief. You know, I mean. We, we go to bids all the time, but the loser never knows why they lost. <laughs> True. You know, um, or they, they know that their price was too high, and that's it. So now all they're left to, to deal with is how do I lower my price so I can be more competitive to beat that guy? And, mm -hmm. and or am I just going to not do work for this particular company because all they're looking for is the low price, in which case it kind of changes their tune. But when you, when you look at at, at um, uh, really talking to people as to why they lost their business, uh, why they lost your business, and really tell them and advise them. You know, I've, I've given free seminars to, to companies. I did, a, I did a road show out in Orlando with, at, at the As Is, is a big security uh, conference there, and I had everybody just like hanging on my every word, and I'm like, why? Because I was telling them, they're selling to me all wrong. They're coming at me, and this is security. Right. Cleaning companies do their own thing, but security companies come at me, guns blazing. I am military through the wazoo. I've got all the veterans that, that, that are on our profile here. We can license to carry every kind of you know, machine gun that, that I want. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. It's great that you worked in the military. I think that's awesome. But if you start coming at, at me with guns blazing... I don't, Literally. Allow, I don't allow guns on my property anyway, so all that stuff is just, you, you wasted my time. So what I want is somebody who is an answer person, somebody who is approachable, and somebody who knows their surroundings and how to get people from point A to point B while also being a, forgive my term, badass at security, but they don't have to wear it on their sleeve. So right. they're the answer person, they're sizing people up as they should, risk profile and so forth, but then they're getting people from point A to point B with a smile on their face. That's who I want, and they're like, "Wow, you're looking I, for a consultant, yeah, not a, not a, 
I'm, I'm, I'm looking for kind of like an answer person. Where's the nearest Starbucks? Oh, it's two blocks down that way. Oh, God, you know, thank you. But, um, uh, and then they start talking a different, a different type of a, a metric. You know, they talk in hours, and I don't know if you've met with security companies lately, but, you know, oh, is that 168 hour? I'm like, what's 168 hours? <laughs> I don't do that math. Not even in my head. What is that? Oh, that's 24-7 for, like, okay. Yeah. That, you're talking not talking jargon. Language. Yeah, you're talking jargon. Yeah, I'm a cost per square foot guy. Talking in cost per square feet, like, oh, what is that again? Cost per square Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so I think we start off by uh, really <laughs> setting false expectations. You know, get three bids. Like, okay, just don't leave it like there. Give them a little bit. Give them their expectations. Give them some, uh, some insight as to what it is that will make them successful at the end. Well, um... And kind of to wrap things up, I'm a big believer in education, and I know you are too. Mm -hmm. So um, I've seen property managers, um, there, I've seen really good property managers that won't get any certifications. Mm -hmm. um, they won't go and get the things that, that will help them further their career. Um, some of them are afraid of tests. Some of them are afraid of or just feel like they don't have time for more schooling or more certification. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think having a certification in and of itself is, is going to do anything for your career other than be a checkbox for a future employer who is looking for a CPM or a CCIM, for example. Um, there, I'm not taking anything away from those particular associations that, that offer the education. And I'm an instructor for, for TRITA and for uh, BOMA and IRAM. Um, however, however, their thirst for knowledge can be uh, much more beneficial than the acronyms after their, after their name. And by that I mean be inquisitive, be hungry, be you know, ask why. I, I tell anybody who joins my team, if you don't ask me why you're doing something, I don't really need you. I can, right. have, I can hire anybody who says yes to everything I say, but yeah. I'm going to tell you something that's going to be wrong. If you don't know why you're doing it, don't do it because I said so because I will be wrong. So, so be inquisitive and be curious. Ask why, why is this lease term in there? What is, what's the benefit? Who gets this? And, and figure out what the next thing is. But back to your education itself, I loved my education. I loved my MBA. I, I said it was too short. And, and, and some, of the, some of the subjects, the courses just stopped. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. But we were just getting into the, like, no, no, we got to move on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I love this stuff. So I'm a proponent of it, but I happen to have a thirst for it. I had some, some gaps to fill in my, in, my own, in my own knowledge. Finance was, was one of them. And, and uh, I, you know, when I took my first accounting course in college, I couldn't keep up, and debits and credits, and what are these things? And it, it just wasn't intuitive. There wasn't anything like I could apply it to. I was in college, in grad school. It was like, oh, that, oh, that's where that goes, and that's what a P and L. And of course, the balance sheet matches. The, okay, got it. All of a sudden, all those puzzle pieces were were answered. So I was ready for it. So I think to answer your question, you know, people, you know, when the student is ready, the the mentor will show, right? And so I think uh, there's, there are those people who, who can talk themselves out of it, and they don't need it. You know, people have asked me, like, should I get, should I get the CPM, the RPA, what should I get? I said, 
what do you crave? What do you desire? And what do each of those actually, you know, in, in tell you, you know, inform you in your heart? And, and go where that goes. But don't go because you think that's what's going to get that employer's attention. Right. You know? I think there's something innate that has to come to us. Well, Gip, I think we could keep on going on and on, but you've been a wonderful guest. And now, if people are wanting to get a hold of you for consulting, coaching, um, you get you get. What are the services you provide? Yeah, I do. I do uh, consulting and coaching primarily for 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 property managers. I do uh, speaking property management companies or individuals or individuals. Okay, Uh, I do private client coaching as well as group coaching, and uh, valuesdrivencoaching.com is where they can um, uh, learn more about me, and I can be emailed at gip at giperskin.com. I do have How do you spell Erskine? Uh, E-R-S-K-I-N-E, and gip is G-I-P as in Paul. So gip at giperskin.com. Correct. Okay. Correct. I also have a blog out. Uh, the World According to Gip that you, you yes. mentioned in the, in the intro. I read some um, of your blogs. are excellent. That's on Substack, and I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook as well and, and, uh, and Twitter. So you can, you can find me just about everywhere that, uh, that you, you care to poke around as far as your social platforms go. But uh, uh, I'd be delighted to, to connect with any of your audience. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much, Gip, well, for, you very for much, coming Robert. on. Okay. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. We appreciate your time.